Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly. Co-editor of PW Comics World and editor of The Fanatic, PW's new twice a month newsletter on comics uh, and pop culture. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Um, and you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash PW Comics World. And as it turns out this week, we're also uh, missing uh, one of our uh, co-hosts, uh, yes. Heidi McDonald. She's at um, Emerald City Comic Con in uh, Seattle. And because of a variety of things and some technical problems. I think we can be summed up as technical difficulties. Yes, technical difficulties. Uh, Heidi won't be with us this week, but she will be back very quickly. Um, and in addition to that, Go to, uh, you know, go to iTunes, go to wherever you listen to, uh, you know, more to come and leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. Give us a piece of your mind. Uh, you know, give us some love or, you know, you know, if you, if you got another idea, give us that too. We really do want to hear from our audience. So, but on that note, this week on more to come, uh, comics under movies, uh, take a look at Captain Marvel and Shazam. Uh, comics and animation on Netflix. World Citizen Comics, a new line coming from First Second. Young readers at Marvel and DC and, um, Read Pop Ed's new shows. So, um, comics and the movies. I, I have not seen Captain Marvel as yet, but I'm gonna go this weekend. Uh, I, I know Kate has seen it. And, but we do know a little bit about the, the box office side of it. That's yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, first, I'm just going to give some preliminary, non-spoiler comments on the movie. So, if you have not seen the trailers, fast forward two minutes. If you have, you're not going to be spoiled. Okay. Um, I think it's kind of funny that one of the most charming things about the movie was a occasionally computer-animated cat. Yes, I've, I've but, heard about that, yes. But, you know, I mean, that's something that was missing from the DCU. Rocket doesn't count. <laughs> and um, I think, weirdly enough, in a way, the fact that it was, it didn't feel like, I don't know, an eternal statement piece. It wasn't a Black Panther. It wasn't a Wonder Woman. It was just a perfectly good, enjoyable comic book movie that had nothing significant wrong with it. The fact that it wasn't an epic statement for all time. It wasn't the mm-hmm. prove it or disprove it. Uh, women in comic book movies, can we do it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, weirdly felt like more of an advance. Yeah. You know, it was just like, yeah, we can have a movie. It can be the biggest movie in the world. It can have, like, incredible numbers. And you know, it's just a comic book movie that is good. And it's just and yeah, it's just a, you know, it's a fun movie to go and see. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, a lot of people agree with you. 153 million dollars uh, opening weekend uh, globally, over 400 million, 450 yeah. people, million. People act like uh, U.S. numbers are all that counts. They're like, oh well, all these other Marvel movies made more money. I'm like, yeah, but only in the United States. 
Yeah. And they're yeah. like, well, but those are just world numbers. And it's like, world money is money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's sort of a classically American take on things. Like, oh, who cares about the rest of the world that's like far vast and more interesting than and I'm ours? Like, because it's <laughs> $300 million. That's yes. why you care. Yeah. So, uh, and, and apparently, but back here at home, what is it? The, the, uh, the, it was the third biggest yeah. opening weekend for a Marvel movie. And that's saying a lot uh, yeah, in the Marvel lot. universe. It is. And it was, it was, it was a really, and, like, if you look at other March openings, like, it's one of the biggest. Yeah. Um, of anything ever in March. Now, w- without any spoilers, uh, I mean, I assume this sets us up for the next movie, the next big blockbuster. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. So, basically, um, it's no spoiler. It's just part of Captain Marvel that... Um, it's cosmic Marvel. Like, a large part of... Her story is in space. Yeah. And she has, like, cosmic level power. Yeah. Like, you can see it in the trailer. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's she all. flies. She punches fire. Yeah. yeah. It's not exactly like Captain America or Black Widow level. It's it's kind of next level, you know? Yeah, yeah. She's, like, the most, what, the, the most powerful Marvel character or, uh, you know, right up there. Close. She's, she's right, right up there up with there. Thor and, I guess, the rest of them and Hulk yeah. and all the rest. Yeah, I mean, it was, she's she is like arguably beyond Hulk level, mm-hmm. um, arguably. But you know, like like yes, so yes, she's very powerful. She's in space. She lives to the end of the movie. None of this is a spoiler. So of course, being a good guy, like yeah, we're gonna see her in the next movie. Yeah, well, like, good. It, yeah, it's a yeah. given, but yeah. it's it's not. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, it's, who doesn't know she's not going to be in another movie? Yeah. <laughs> and certainly. Um, so I mean, she, I would say that Brie Larson's performance and Carol Danvers, the character, yeah. are are very warm and human and unlikable and interesting and believably strong and like a, a human. Not necessarily like a, a, a Xena like action figure way, but like a like yes, superhero, absolutely, not a doubt in your mind for a moment level. Um, and I really liked that um, some of the most important relationships in the movie are between her and other women. Ah. Between her and is it past the Bechtel test? Absolutely. Ah! Because um, one of the major characters, and <clears throat> this is not a spoiler, you can get it from the cast list, is her um, friend, fellow test pilot, Maria <laughs> I don't Rambo. remember her name, sorry. Yeah, and, <laughs> can't help you. And, <laughs> um, you know, also, there is a female mentor figure who's mm. very important to her and who is one of the mysteries of the movie. And, you know, it, it's, it's like, it does some interesting things with the expected trope of, uh, women start weak and need to be built up. Mm. Or the, even the, the stereotypical superhero backstory of, before you were a superhero, you were weak. Yeah. Mm. And it t- kind of looks at that trope and says, no. Yeah. You may be physically stronger now that you're a superhero, but you were strong to begin with. Yeah. 
And you I mean, there's an inner, there was an inner strength, yeah, there's an a inner character, st- a strength inner, of character. An inner strength. Yeah. And not just an inner strength, but a capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't like, oh, like Captain America in the first movie where he had inner strength, but was not really capable of achieving anything he wanted to do mm. until he gained his powers. That, like, that's not the message they're going for yeah. here. That, you know, she was competent and was effective before she was a superhero. Yeah, that's well, something yeah she, she was needs, like a test pilot, right? Yeah. Pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's something she needed to remember yes. about herself mm-hmm. is that her powers are good and she's not just her powers. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's that, an interesting take. Now, just to remind our re- uh, listeners who may not know, although it seems like everybody in the Western Hemisphere does know this, I mean, the, the Bechtel test, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me to the yeah. precise, is that basically an ability of... Uh, female characters in movies to be able to have a conversation that isn't about a man. Yeah. Yeah. Named female characters to have a conversation about something that's not a man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they have a lot of conversations. They have conversations about airplanes. Yeah. They yeah, have yeah. conversations yeah, about, yeah. you know, battles. They have conversations about I, I mean, space. I, I wonder if this is a, I mean, I wonder if screenwriters and producers and directors are, are I mean, when they look at the script, they're saying, hey, Brechtel test. Well, I don't. I don't think you have to in this movie because you just all you need is like the Bechtel test. If the whole point of the Bechtel test is that you don't have this problem if you have enough female characters. I agree. Yeah, and you give yeah. them stuff to care about that it will automatically fall into place. It's yeah. such a low standard that when you have three major female <laughs> yeah. characters yes. who have interests other than men. It just happens yeah, it naturally. Just happens naturally. And I really, I kind of don't think they did it on purpose for a Bechdel test. I think they were like, no, no. let's have these female characters in yeah, the yeah. movie. Yeah, I and didn't mean it, it in the that. right kind of movie. Yeah. It just happened like it should. Sure, of course. And then, of course, the, 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 uh, the, the, the structure of the movie absolutely is what guided it. Yeah. Um, um, one thing I liked about this, which I like about Wonder Woman comics, but was mm-hmm. not there so much in the film once she was in Man's World, well, this was very much not a, it was never, I'm the girl, therefore, I'm alone, or I'm better than other women. There was never that subtext, that mm-hmm. it was always like, that was not a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is a step forward. Yeah. Then who who was the who's the director of this? I don't. You can, yeah, you know what? I'm a, I know I'm always terrible at that, and I depend on you guys to, <laughs> to bring I, me up to you speed. Know, I gotta <laughs> say, I, I really that's all right. We'll, do not we'll take a look at that. But but uh, but what what's really interesting about this uh, movie? Obviously, in that I mean, the run up to it, obviously, seems to be it seems to be full of even more than usual uh, the. Uh, the misogynist trollery yeah, and uh, and uh, and dumbass stuff that seems to happen around movies that are really uh, aiming to kind of break the mold right, and, and to create a new kind of, and, of, of media entertainment. This movie didn't have. I mean, this movie kind of blew through all of that and wiped it away in so in so many cases. You, you were about to say. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, as far as anyone can tell, other than the fact that it has a main character who is a woman, uh. The only thing leading up to it that could have ticked them off were some very, very mild things that Preet Larson said about, like, being kind of annoyed that literally every single movie critic they sent to her was a white man 
And so she specifically sought out a movie critic to to be interviewed by who wasn't one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, whoop the freaking do. <laughs> and, I mean, I think watching this movie, how do we put this? It is a feminist movie that's not about the tension between men and women. You know, it's not about, like, ah, men are keeping me down. I mean, you know, there are a couple men who do yeah. some mildly sexist things that, you know, sure. she's not having with, but that's not what the story is about. I mean, Wonder Woman was about that. This is not about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of think that, like, had these guys actually seen it, they probably wouldn't have gotten that ticked. But just the mere idea, the mere idea was too much for them. They couldn't well, handle that's, it. You well, know, that's what the absurdity of all of this is that nobody had seen the movie, that, that it, but yet you had trolls out there organizing exactly. efforts to, to, to smear it and they before they even seen so it. And so out of control, and it was organized. It was an organized. Oh, yeah, thing. absolutely. There was a whole uh, um, Reddit board where they all were like, mm. okay, let's go troll Captain Marvel. And so they did. And they did it to a degree that Rotten Tomatoes was like, you know what? We're going to have to change our rating system yeah, here yeah. because you guys just abuse this whole do I want to see it or not button. Yeah, yeah. It's just the whole thing is ridiculous. Uh, now, the directors of Captain Marvel, there are actually two directors, mm. a woman, Anna Bowden, uh, and Ryan Fleck. Uh, so that's a little unusual, isn't it? Two directors? I suppose it well, happens from time there are, to time. there are directing teams, like mm-hmm. there's the Wachowskis. That's true. That's true. You know, occasionally yeah. you'll get teams. Yeah, that, no, that, that's true. Um, um, but very often these... Uh, these big budget films seem Are to have usually this one auteur. One auteur, yeah. Um, but uh, look, I'm I'm excited to see it. I want to see it. I mean, I want you know. I've talked about it in the past how I just think that one of the aspects, uh, the kind of the brilliant uh, aspects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the, you know, as much the need to see the movie as actually seeing the movie. I do think that that's kind of a brilliance that they they've created this giant. Um, recreation of the serial experience, yeah. where except on a blockbuster scale. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it works on that level. But also, listeners, if you're like me and you're like, I don't want to see everything. Most of these don't interest me. I only want to watch the ones I'm interested in. You can just watch Captain Marvel. You won't miss anything. There you go. By not having, like, Watch twenty other movies before this one. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. Just go see it; it'll be fine. Absolutely, but I, I do think that even if you don't necessarily want to go see, it, you feel the pull, and I mean, probably yeah. a little bit more to me because I'm in the you know the talking about media business here. Um, but I do think that that you know, in the same way as that you know, look, I I've never been a big fan of giant crossover events, um, uh, though that doesn't mean I'm not curious about them. And I just think Marvel has been able to marry that idea, that tug, that need to sort of know that there's like the chatter yeah. going on about it. And you want to join in if he's like, no, do I really want to see yet another three-hour movie? But still, I think this is kind of an important part of the mix. At the end of the day, of course, they've got to make a good movie. That, you yeah. Know. So, um, but but once again, I'm, I'm going to see it Saturday. I'm excited to see it. Uh Partially because I want to be a part of the experience, and partially because I want to be able to talk about it with you guys and with the rest of the, you know, the geeky community I, I out there. I think you'll enjoy it. The one yeah. thing, the one thing that, like, on one hand, led to some fun um, Easter eggs, and on the other hand, it's just a little disconcerting. Is this is no spoiler? It's in the trailers. It's set twenty years ago in the nineties. Uh-huh. Well, actually, like twenty-five years ago in the nineties, as far as I can tell. 
but it's it's twenty years back in Marvel time because the no, these, line's weird. Are these the Easter eggs at the end of the movie? The no, two? no, no, in the movie. Oh, these are in. Oh, these are in. Yeah, that um, that there are all these little interesting like callbacks that you wouldn't notice. So so silly ones to do with the fact that since this is like. 20 years before the events of the most recent Marvel movie um, Nick Fury in it is a younger guy who hasn't been through everything he's been through in the later Mm -hmm. movies and like at first is you know is is not going to know all the things he knows and has a very different attitude Um, but it is they do use they don't use another actor I guess because like nobody looks anything like Samuel L. Jackson he's such a uniquely unique looking guy um, they use some digital movie magic to make him look younger and it's yes, just it's eerie <laughs> it's, it's a little disconcerting I gotta say visually there are times when you're like his face looks rubber yeah. his nose looks fake um, you're just looking at the trailers you it, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, this is something you can see from the trailers but it's even more obvious in the movie you're like, yeah. you're a little like nah. mm, that's a bit much but even so like he, he's Samuel L. Jackson and his performance and his character which is a very major character in the movie um, is good enough that you, you certainly don't regret having him there yeah alright well we got another movie up here that, that's coming I and mean, we're getting some yes. buzz on it this is Shazam and what makes that especially interesting and ironic and kind of funny that they had the first sneak previews the same weekend as Captain Marvel is that Shazam is in a way also Captain Marvel. Now, you may say, listeners, you may go, what? But this is one of those little long-running artifacts of comics history is that once upon a time, there were two comic books named yeah, Captain right. Marvel, and one of them was put out by the ancestor of Marvel, and mm-hmm. one of them was put out by the ancestor of DC. And the, and that early DC Captain Marvel comic uh, evolved into Shazam. Yeah. And um, that early Captain Marvel comic evolved into Captain Marvel. And they had many, many lawsuits against each other over it. <laughs> yes. They've been quarreling for years. Um, there was a period at which they called the book Shazam, but they could call the captain, the character Captain Marvel, and then they were like, no, even that is too much. So, uh, there are actually some gentlemen who didn't understand the difference between this online complaining, but why isn't there a, a movie about the dude Captain Marvel? And then someone was like, oh, do you, do you mean like, uh, uh, Marvel, the, uh, alien original Captain Marvel from from Marvel and they're like no who's that guy no I mean Captain Marvel and they went on to describe you know Shazam and someone was like actually that movie is coming out yes. you will get that movie <laughs> um, I'm glad you explained this because even I fall apart trying right. to explain but, but there it there were two characters named yeah. the same thing Yeah, and there was a lawsuit yeah. and it got messy and so arguably there is some intentional rivalry yeah. nonsense going yeah. on bringing out Shazam and Captain Marvel in the same year I mean we the audience are the winners yeah but it's funny <laughs> it's funny great well um, but the the uh, um, the DC Shazam movie is getting buzz yeah I mean it it, it hasn't opened just yet but um, it's coming out next month but it's really every, everything I hear about it um it's very different from what we have come to expect from DC movies. Yeah, well, I mean, the premise of Shazam, as now is called, is that Billy Batson 
is a either young teenage or 12-year-old boy who is a foster child, is really has nothing, and happens upon this wizard that gives him the ability to turn into Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And that it it is a child's power fantasy, but it doesn't really make him an adult. That Captain Marvel, to all the world, appears to be an adult and can put on a good show of being an adult and is just as good at being a superhero as any adult. But at the end of the day, when he goes home, he's still this young boy. Yeah. And so his perspective is very different. Um, and typically, much is played with that the other superheroes are just like, wow, that Captain Marvel, he's so wholesome. Or, wow, that Shazam, he's so wholesome. And I never really realize it's because he's 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard people compare it to like the Tom Hanks and Big, you know. Right, but without the the inherent tragedy, because he does, doesn't does lose his childhood. Yeah, he gets yeah. to be a child yeah. as well. But that his childhood is, is not an easy one. Yeah. Um, and they keep all those elements in this coming movie, as is very clear from the trailers. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 considered very funny. Uh, the trailers that I've seen are pretty loosey goosey. Everybody's cracking jokes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Shazam is a, a big lug. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they clearly this is like the first superhero movie I've seen in like years where they clearly were using the rubber muscle suit. But for Shazam, it kind of works. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So net. Yeah. So that's still to come, folks. So um, we we will certainly have more to talk about that to come. Um. Okay, Netflix in the news. So in a big way, Netflix uh, has. I mean, we've known for some time that Netflix has been involved in you know anime and animated things and you know Castlevania mm-hmm. and Voltron and all that good stuff. But they just announced this huge slate of animated stuff, like. Just now. Uh, well, not today, but, you know. Yeah. So, for example, uh, Nidhi Chinani's Pashmina, the yeah. graphic novel that we've talked about here that's aimed at, at young readers and all ages. Yeah. Very, charm- um, very charming book. Yeah. We have an interview with her, actually, if you go back about two or three years. Yes, we <laughs> two do. Two years, maybe. Two yes, years, we yeah. Do. yeah. Um, is now being not only made animated, it's going to be an animated musical. Hmm. I don't even know where they're going with that, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, the creators of Castlevania are creating an original, um, straight-up Greek myth animated series uh, called Gods and Heroes about shock, surprise, an illegitimate son of Zeus. <laughs> there are plenty of those going around. There you go, that's right. Um, and yeah, it's from the same team that brought you Castlevania um, and will be uh, written by creators Charlie and Vlaz Parlapadenides who wrote the Death Note live action so some mixed feelings in regards to that but the concept is a good one the concept is a good one yeah Um, 
I didn't hear good things about that Death Note live I, action. I, I, <laughs> that I was pretty. Sometimes. In fact, I think we mocked it mercilessly on this we show. We did. We <laughs> did. But you know. But that's, anyway. But that's it's one of those things where it's like that's because you're trying to remake a thing that already exists that may not be a thing that plays to your strengths. Yeah. And a lot of creators who do not do well with pre-existing properties do very well with their own properties. Um, and then also, they're going to be going into some more anime. Um, um, so, Netflix has announced three new anime shows. They're doing a animated adaptation of their live-action sci-fi show, uh, Altered Carbon. Um, I... I don't know if it's going to be an adaptation or a sequel or something set in the same universe. Probably something set in the same universe. Um, they're going to be doing a series based on Capcom's Dragon's Dogma video game. And what is the third one? What is the third one? Gee, thanks, notes. Um, yeah, I don't quite see it either. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing it, man. Anyway, so yeah, they're... Last year, they had a partnership. They announced a partnership with Japan-based animation houses, Production IG, and with Bones. Hmm. Um, their new these new shows are part of Netflix's new partnership with the studios Sublimation and David Production in Japan and Anima Studios in Mexico. So you know they've got a lot of stuff coming. They're teaming up with a lot of hmm. people, and um, some people are suggesting that. This may be partly a reaction to the fact that um, when Disney Plus launches, they're going to lose a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so... I think they're saying that they're making outright claims that this is why this is happening, because they're losing so many shows. They're losing so many shows, and so they want to prove that, you know, they can create... Yeah. Because not only is Disney launching a streaming service, Warner is launching yet Uh, another streaming service to go along with with DC Universe. So... Every anything that Netflix is licensing now is coming off eventually and going to back to their res- respective parent companies. For so, now, for we'll yeah. See. Um, I mean, I, I have to say that, like, if you look at CBS's streaming thing, it, it's it's a laugh and a half. Yeah. And I I mean I think Disney Plus is going to make it because Disney because it's Disney yeah. But I I have my doubts about the Warner thing. I do too. I mean, I'm not as big a streamer watcher, but my wife is. So that's basically where I find out what's going on. Um, but, um, I have, I find it curious about. I, I think that. Yeah. Anyway. That, uh, Warner is, is barking up the wrong tree, but Disney probably has a pretty slong chance. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, this is, that's not official news, listeners. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you, you may, you may all prove me wrong. I don't know. Whatever. But it, it, it is getting to seem like there's a streaming service opening, you know, yeah, every it seems other like week. Every single, I mean, it's one thing for all the little mini streaming services to have their niches, but I am a little concerned by all the, the major networks starting their own one. It's yeah. like if you had to pay for ABC and pay for CBS <laughs> and pay for yeah. NBC and pay for Fox, like, would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I would not do that. Yeah. So do you have to pay for every platform that's out there? You got to pay a separate fee. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are going to watch the one thing they want to watch and unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a good model. Well, that does seem to be what's happening. People sign up for what they want for a minute, and then they just drop the subscription and jump to another one. Yeah, it's, it's like they're like, oh, well, I've now watched all the Star Trek. 
of this season of Discovery, which in like one month I'll mainline it all, and then screw you, CBS, for the next year. Done. Um, which is, I don't know. I don't think that's super sustainable. I think the model's going to be tweaked. All right, moving but, on. But, speaking of tweaking the model, um, Crunchyroll is, and Toonami-Adult Swim are, are trying to find where they stand in, in the, the new streaming model. Crunchyroll, uh, recently had lost a lot of properties, um, when Funimation jumped ship. And uh, now they are teaming up with Toonami and Adult Swim. So once upon a time, back in the original United States manga boom, a lot of it was driven by Cartoon Network's Adult Swim block of anime so that people who would become familiar with a lot of these blockbuster anime by watching it on television for free yep. as part of, you know, their cable. And it really drove... Uh, yeah. Print sales and as any, well. Literally anything yeah, that, that was time. on that block, the sales went hugely up. Yeah. Well, Crunchyroll is going to be having their a lot of their anime that either they have produced or they are hosting on streaming um, to show on Adult Swim dash Tsunami. So I think they're hoping that. People looking, say, for older episodes, people looking for more content are going to come in and watch it on Crunchyroll, and vice versa. It's going to give, you know, Toonami and Adult Swim something to broadcast that people want to see. So they mutually feed each other, and I'm sure there will be ad revenues. And um, it, it really seems like a good synergy there. And I'm kind of surprised they haven't teamed up before. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, let's move back to the print world. Yes. All right. Uh, this is a story just came out this week. I wrote it uh, among other people. Um, world Citizens Comics. So this is a uh, this is a, a the launch of a new line of comics uh, by First Second, which is uh, Macmillan's graphic novel imprint. Um, uh, and it's and it's it's aimed. It's driven absolutely by the current political uh, climate. Uh, the editorial director at the for for a second, uh, Mark Siegel, a cartoonist himself, um, he really has been working on this for a while. And uh, World Citizen Comics is basically a line of comics, of nonfiction comics, aimed at adults, middle grade and young adults. That's focused on civic involvement and media literacy. This is a response to what uh, Mark kind of sees. Well, no, what Mark and many of us feel are, is that we're at a the democracy is facing a crisis right now, uh, both because of the the current um, uh, administration in white in the White House, because of how uh, um, democratic institutions are being destabilized by uh, um, so-called fake news by uh agents um foreign agents out to undermine uh our democratic elections uh and actually by the i would say on the american side by a closer watch by a new political resistance that's also questioning how american institutions are run at home uh a, a kind of a political awakening is going on i think in the country right now yeah. uh, and and this is part of mark's discussion 
So what they're doing is pu- they're publishing a really phenomenal lineup. They're going to launch with seven comics, uh, uh, seven nonfiction comics. Uh, the first is going to appear in 2020. But one of the things first, uh, uh, first second has been known for, and they kind of, uh, I wouldn't say that they pioneered it, but for a big New York trade house publisher, they were certainly one of the first to really use it extensively, and that's to use online serialization, web comics, um, published in advance of the print to both uh, get the news of the books out there to judge the audience and to build to build an audience. Um, Mark Siegel is actually uh, uh, he's a graphic novel author himself. Mm-hmm. The author was Sailor Twain. Uh, he launched his book like that. Uh, they did another book. And actually, they did uh, a number of books that way. One of them was Zara's Paradise, um, which was uh, set in the Middle East and was kind of uh, organized around a, a, a blog and a webcomic. So this uh, uh, among the titles, the seven titles that World Citizen Comics is going to launch are, uh, is a book, Citizen Journalist, that's going to be um, created by Seth Abramson and Scott McCloud. Now, if you're familiar with Seth Abramson, he is a professor uh, and a lawyer uh, who has been doing an enormous amount of research and writing about uh, uh, Donald Trump and Russian and the investigation in the Russian collusion. Um, he has a number of books out. Um, one in particular um, was, um, what is it, Proof of Collusion, How Trump Betrayed America, came out last year, I believe, uh, a best-selling book. Um, he's teaming up with Scott McCloud of Understanding Comics uh, to kind of create a book about the impact of independent journalism. Uh, one of the things Emerson has done using his Twitter feed is kind of uh, bring in readers along with his research. And he's broken a lot of stories that, he, that were sort of ridiculed at first, but have turned out actually to show that he's really done the kind of groundwork to be able to report on the story. So that's one of the books. I'm not going to go to all of them, but I am going to jump around. Uh, there's going to be at least two books they look at the Constitution and how it functions, and both how it functions and how it should functions. Um, one of the books, Fault Lines in the Constitution by Cynthia and Sanford Levison, is actually a, a, a prose, an acclaimed prose work that they're going to adapt into comics um, with a comics artist um, whose name, oh, Ali Schwade. Uh, in addition, there's also a book called a reconstitution connecting citizens with the rules of the game by Becca Feathers who's actually a constitutional expert and she actually writes constitutions she's brought in by foreign nations i think the last one she did was was in uh, yemen nations wow. coming out of civil war nations trying to build a democracy to assist in actually writing constitutions so that book is going to come out with art by Kazia Badis and uh, let's see, and very quickly, they're also going to do books on media literacy, how to look at uh, media in the 20th, 21st century and and figure out what you're being told, find out exactly what fake news is, and also maybe reinforce a little bit about how the media functions in a democracy. So one of the books is called The Media Adventures Handbook, Decoding Persuasion in Everyday News, Ads, and More. Now, this is a middle-grade book actually aimed at kids by Melissa Hart, um, uh, and an artist to be dis- determined. And in addition to that, breaking the news using media literacy to decode what we watch. And I'll have to say that uh, subtitle is 
it's shortened because it's so long and I can't remember the rest of it. So my apologies to the author out there. Uh, young adult, this is aimed at the young adult, uh, audience by, uh, Jen Posner, uh, also an author of a book called Reality Bites Back and an artist team with Shelley, Paraline and, and Brandon Lamb. Um, so, uh, it, it, this is being launched at a time when we're seeing really uh, an amazing growth of interest and popularity around nonfiction comics of all kind. Um, uh, you can point to the March Trilogy by John Lewis, um, uh, uh, T. Boy's acclaimed refugee memoir, the best that we could do, and believe me, many, many more. So um, we, I think we saw last year the launch of so many new comics lines and comics imprints. So we're seeing that once again. We're sort of kicking the year off with yet another groundbreaking imprint. It's going to be from a big New York trade house that's going to be focused on publishing comics for a new generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Did speaking, I talk too much? <laughs> well, I'm just kind of like, okay. Yeah. Not, yes. not much to say to that. Like, Yes, citizenship good. Comics, but this, good. but it's Comics really interesting. Citizenship, this is good. also like a passion project. I mean, this is something that you know. Uh, I think Mark Siegel really feels. And and one of the things he also mentioned is that. Uh, the importance of librarians to, uh, uh, to this new world of comics that we live in now. So he's working well, on ways to involve them. This whole looks like librarian net. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. So uh, he really expects to bring librarians in to help promote the books, to get them out to the public. So this is an exciting, once again, uh, we live in an exciting time for comics as, a, as the category. And, you know, just really expands to its full potential. Yeah. So speaking of comics for a new audience or an up-and-coming audience, uh, DC is putting out DC Zoom, which is going to be a graphic novel imprint about superheroes for uh, tween and young teen girls. Um, they're going to have a uh, Black Canary graphic novel coming yeah. out from Meg Cabot, creator of The Princess Diaries. And they also have a um, Wonder Woman graphic novel set on Thema Skyra, not in an American high school, um, with an 11-year-old Wonder Woman yeah. in it by Shannon and Dean Hale. Yeah, yeah, who are, you know, best-selling graphic novel authors from Real Friends. Yeah. Yeah, this is, a, this is, this is once again, um, the expansion of what's possible for comics. Okay, so we're going to be, uh, I'm working on a story about, um, DC Zoom and DC Inc. and it's going to be in the, in the Fanatic next week. And the Fanatic is PW's a new, uh, twice a month a newsletter on, uh, comics and pop culture. Um, but you, DC has really gone all out to create a new kinds of comics imprint, really aimed at both the book trade and at the, the comic shop market, but really, um, aimed at, uh, bringing in the kind of authors that are, um, that that have a have a, a big following aimed at middle grade readers and young adult readers, uh, girls and boys, um, but also making sure that they've got stories that really appeal to a, a wide uh, a, a wide marketplace. They have an impressive lineup of of authors. Uh, Laurie Halls Anderson, um, uh, what the the author of what's that uh, speak 
that they're really the classic um um YA novel um kind of about about abuse and rape. Um but she's not the only one. Melissa De La Cruz, Ridley Pearson, Mariko Tamaki, um a Lauren Miracle, I mean who has got has written more than 17 books, uh, really a superstar of the YA. Yeah, I mean she writes for middle grade too, but she's in particular uh um, noted for her YA stuff and she's the author of Under the Moon a Catwoman story uh, and in fact I'm going to be that's going to be part of my an interview with Lauren Miracle is going to be part of my story Gene Yang is doing a story about Superman and the Klan um, Meg Cabot as you mentioned actually doing Black Black Canary so um, we're really I mean most of these books are coming out uh, in 2019 more to come so to speak so it, once again um, we're at a period where we're really seeing some amazing publishing. Yeah, done. and and what you have to understand is that this is a huge leap forward because, um, for example, the DC Superhero Girls ongoing cartoon yes. just started last week. Yeah, and what you have to remember is it was oh, it was less than five years ago that um, the buzz around DC was don't do anything for girls. If girls like it, it's not good because girls won't buy action figures. Therefore, we can't make buy money on them. So crazy. Until some genius was like, hey, wait, what do you mean girls don't buy dolls? I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What? No. (laughs) Let's just put out dolls girls like and comics about superheroes girls like because they're already buying the t-shirts even when they can't get anything aimed at them. Um, And they started the original DC Superhero Girls line, which has since yes. evolved. And yes. it's just been gangbuster success. Yeah. Leading, I think, to some of these graphic novels. Well, absolutely. And, and leading leading to, like, the Young Justice cartoon being revived mm. on yeah. uh, the DC streaming app after having been canceled because too many girls liked it. Yeah. No, one of the people I'm, I talked to for the story that will be in The Fanatic uh, next week is Michelle Wells, who's the VP of Ex- and Executive Editor at, at DC Books for Young Readers, which is encompasses both DC Zoom and DC Inc. And one of the things Michelle points out immediately in our talk was that really all of this has grown out of DC Superhero Girls and the and incredible popularity of that line of, of books and merchandise. And DC Superhero Girls actually has now been folded in. It's a, it's a distinct part of uh, DC Zoom, which I think is the middle grade. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, lots of great books coming uh, for young readers from DC, and also plenty of great books coming for young readers about Marvel characters, but not exactly from Marvel. Yeah, no, not exactly. I mean, it's interesting, actually, the deal. Yeah. So IDW at first it just Disney contracted out for some of their young readers comics and graphic novels to come out from IDW. And first this was Star Wars and people went, you know, fair enough. Then it was Disney characters and people went, not surprising. And now IDW is doing basically Marvel comics. Yeah. They they have a Spider-Man graphic novel out. They're going to be doing more Marvel characters. It's a little odd. Um, I mean... Arguably, IDW has proven that they're very good at doing comics yeah. for this audience. Mm. And um, Disney has proven in the past that they are willing to license out their comics for their characters for comics. Yeah. But um, to be licensing out Marvel comics to comic companies that aren't Marvel 
is unusual, to say the least. Yeah, it's a little startling. I, I, it really does seem as though uh, Disney and Marvel uh, really decided that kids' comics maybe are not their strength. Yeah. That seems to be the case because really what and, – and, and some of what I'm talking about comes out of, you know, a really interesting article on The Beat yeah. about the, the early issues. And, and these are periodical comics, I think, uh, or at least, the, you know, they, they will be – their initial appearance they're, they're will be graphic as, novels as and, being, and, and period, Yeah, I'm sure they're going to collect them. But, uh, and there'll probably be some original graphic novels, of course. Um, but, yes, but uh, the, the story, and unfortunately I forget the writer, uh, it really is about – um, really the lively quality of the, uh, the, the early Spider-Man, Spider-Gwen, um, um, comics that are coming out from IDW under Marvel's, um, you know, mar- under the Marvel license. So, um, and it's, it, it's pretty much a way, a rave review, actually, yeah. of these things about. But with a certain amount of, of backhandedness toward actual Marvel comics. <laughs> that could be the case. So, um, uh, so it's very interesting now. I mean, we've been writing about this for many years. How, um, do Marvel and DC, uh, reach, aim, reach a younger artist, uh, our audience, uh, in a new world? And we're starting to see the fruits of that right now. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely taking very different approaches. Um, I have to say that if I were an editor at Marvel who had worked on Young Readers or All Ages lines, I'd be feeling a little insulted right now. Um, but, you know, they, they do what they have to do. And I think Disney was losing patience with the fact that a lot of money was being left on the table. Because you have all these kids running around in Captain America t-shirts, uh, in Hulk t-shirts, who don't have any really satisfying comics that are going to get them addicted. Yeah. So, more to come. Happen? Yeah, more to come. More to come on that. All right. Uh, Read Pop gets bigger and hopefully better. <laughs> they're well, adding shows. They're they're acquiring shows and they're launching new shows. So, um, so yeah. So, they, they bought Florida Supercon. Right. Which is a pre-existing show, and they are launching a new show in Africa. Yeah. Um, whose name I forget. Well, the, it's called Comic Con Cape Town. It is mm-hmm. a follow-up to the very successful launch last year of Comic Con Africa, um, which is which is one uh, con for a whole continent. So yes. I can see well, why they'd want to specialize. Well, partly you know, partly they intend to franchise the, the Comic Con Africa around. The continent, because mm-hmm. in my understanding is that they're looking at Nigeria after this, but but makes sense. But it's right, exactly. But um, this is uh, uh, Comic Con Cape Town is going to be launched in Cape Town. Um, Comic Con Africa uh, uh, was held in September uh, in Johannesburg, and Comic Con Cape Town will take place in, in May. Uh, so um, uh, it's also going to be coupled with, I think, um, uh, an international. Uh, the Cape Town Animation Festival, so they're going to bring them all under under one roof uh, at Comic Con Cape Town. So this is, you know, this is very exciting. Uh, I know at um, at New York Comic Con, I think was the last year, I got a chance to talk with some of the principals working uh, because Friends of the Show, um, Ku, uh, formerly of Diamond, is now you know uh, working at Reed Pop, and and I got a chance to meet some of his uh, South African team. At New York Comic Con, so um, it's onward and upward. Uh, it's uh, they're going to have animation, obviously, 
and they're going to try to bring the same excitement to uh, Cape Town uh, that they brought to Johannesburg when they, I think they drew over 40,000 people to the initial uh, the launch of yeah, Comic-Con Africa. So, you know, pop culture, uh, you know, continues to make its move around the, around the globe. And now... The Briefs. Yes. Well, speaking of pop culture around the globe, there's some news from Japan. I know, listeners, you may say, oh, Kate's going to tell me about the next thing that got turned into a musical. No, no, I'm not. Something far bigger than that. Hayao Miyazaki, who has been for a long time saying, I'm retired, I'm retired, I'm retired, is working on an anime feature film called uh, Kimitachi wa Doikuruka, which means, how do you live? Um, he's doing it a little differently than usual because he's not on a deadline anymore because he's technically retired. Right. So a lot of this is him doing on his own time. Um, but they are not worried about scheduling. Um, it's going to come out. It's it's in you know final enough stages that they feel comfortable announcing it, and so there will be another Hayao Miyazaki film, even if we happen to suffer uh, author existence failure before it comes out. <laughs> you know, it's it's ready to go. It's ready to go. All right. So uh, and we it. wish him well and I, a quasi well good quasi yes. retirement. Yes, yes. I mean, I guess he's no longer working like a murderous schedule and is yeah. just kind of doing it, it probably, whenever he feels, and then that's as close to retirement as he's ever going to get. Yeah, I think that's a bit about it. So, let's see. Speaking of things returning, listeners, you may recall us talking about. Vertigo hitting some surprisingly unexpected controversy in regards to a Jesus Buddy comedy comic that was planned to come out from Vertigo called The Second Coming, in which Jesus gets in a quarrel with God and comes down to Earth and hangs out with Sun Man, who appears to be a thinly veiled Superman, but, but we shall see. And it got canceled because um, DC was shocked, shocked, when uh, religious fundamentalists and conservatives freaked out at the idea of a humor comedy comic starring Jesus as a superhero. Kind of odd since, you know, religion is parodied constantly in this country, but there, never mind. Yeah, and I mean, never mind that it's coming out from Vertigo, known from uh, such wildly heretical comics as, say, Hellblazer, but uh, I, I guess Jesus himself starring as a parody character was was just a little too much. So Vertigo canceled it. Or rather, DC higher ups canceled it. But it's it's back. The second coming has a second coming. Um, it the comic has been picked up by a whole the, by the new imprint. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's not the imprint by the new publisher, Ahoy Comics, and it's going to come out anyway. And so keep your eye out. The second coming 
has is coming to a comic store near you. And I have no doubt that some people get very excited to boycott it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> people are excited to read it, and other people are excited to keep you from reading it. <laughs> yes, or to announce very loudly that they are <laughs> or not Or try to keep it. you from reading it anyway. All right. All right. And uh, the Cartoonist Studio Prize shortlist has oh, been yeah. announced. Yeah. I happen to have it here. Okay. Calvin, you want to take it away? Uh, now, the, the Cartoonist Studio Prize, this is a this is a, uh, a joint venture of uh, Slate and the mm-hmm. Center for Cartoon Studies. Yep. Uh, and they've announced their nomination, nominations uh, for 2018 just, uh, for the best print comic of the year and the best web comic of the year. And I'm going to go down the list uh, of the comics and the publishers. So, uh, Chlorine Gardens by Kyla Roberts from Koyama Press, also one of our best books. Uh, Girl Town uh, by Carolyn Nork from Top Shelf, great book. Passing for Human by Viana Fink from Random House. Poochie Town. By Jim Woodring from Fanographics. Space Academy 123 by, uh, Mickey Jachili uh, from Kayama Press. Hold on for a sec. <coughs> um, <clears throat> Tongues Number 2 by, uh, Anders Nielsen, uh, from No Miracles Press. Why Art, uh, by Eleanor Davis from Fanographics. Window Pain by Joe Kessler from Breakdown. Uh, Yellow Negroes and Other Imaginary Creatures, very good book, by uh, Jan Lagbe, New York Review Comics, and, and this is one of my faves, Young Francis by Hartley Lynn from Ad House Books. All right, now, the studio prize for best web comic of the year. Uh, nominees are As Before, So Behind by Ted Clausen, Being an Artist and a Mother by Lauren Weinstein, Comics by Tara Booth, the Girl Who Flew Away by M. Dean, Having a Role in Life by Elizabeth uh, Run, uh, translated by Unar. Boy, oh boy, I'm not even going to try. Or I am going to try, but please forgive me for mangling this name. Jarnard Doter. Uh, Nancy uh, by Olivia. Uh, is that James? or James. It is James. Olivia, uh, Olivia James. The, the new sensational reboot. Uh, Sylvia Plath's Last Plan by Summer Pierre. This Modern World uh, by Tom Tomorrow. Three comics by E.A. Bethea. And A Trip to the Museum with cartoonist John Porcelino by the wonderful cartoonist Gabrielle Bell. Uh, so, these are the nominations. I'm actually not sure when the winners will be announced. But, you know, we'll get back to you. <laughs> we'll get back to you with the information of the winners when we know what they are. All right. And on that note, there will be... More? To... Come! Come!